Well, good morning. Uh, I really appreciate the way uh, Nick kicked off today's gathering uh, by talking about um, kind of forfeiting um, our thoughts about the battle we're in and just handing it over to God. And, and I know I probably need to wake up every day and, and to be praying, God, that the, the battle's yours and just, just forfeiting my activity in that and handing it over to God because life feels like a, a battle right now, doesn't it? Um, a battle for our, our, our peace of mind, uh, a battle for the quality of our life. Like it just feels like we're in the thick of this battle. And I don't know about you, but I feel like for me personally, my life is all, like one press conference away from like changing entirely. Um, and every time there's a press conference, I'm like, all right, great. How's my, my world going to be changed? How's our, our church going to be changed? And, and we find ourselves in a battle that's God's. And, and I want to kick off today just by reminding us of something uh, in God's word. And Jesus tells us in the book of John, he tells us kind of a twofold thought. He says, you know, first off, you're going to have trouble in this world. And to that, we can give an amen, right? Uh, this, this year has been troubling. Jesus didn't tell us specifically how we'd be troubled, but he did tell us, you're going to experience trouble in this world. And I think to that, we can all agree. But he also, on the back end, told us, he said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Which means that as we face trouble, no matter what it looks like, how it's defined, we're going to be all right. As Jesus is our hope, and it's not just he's our hope, in eternity, on our way there, he is our hope through the momentary, through the trouble. He has overcome it. And so as we live our lives this week, let's be people who live it by that truth. That yes, there is trouble. We're not ignorant about that. But we serve a king who has overcome the trouble of the world, and we should live in that hope. And so the battle is God's. Let's make sure we are fighting that through how we live peacefully as we go about our days. Now, to, to kick today's teaching off, um, I want to share with you a, a term um, that is used a lot in the production industry. If you're involved in the production industry, you've heard this before. It's cost of quality. Cost of quality. Some people just simply define it as COQ. And so essentially, the cost of quality is how companies can calculate how much it's going to cost them to create a product that reaches a certain level of quality. Cost of quality. Now, we may not think much about this, but it has a drastic impact on every single one of our lives in multiple ways. Uh, for example, uh, this week I was looking for something for my family and, and I jumped on Facebook Marketplace. Now, I don't know if some of you, you some of y'all probably live there. I, I've never dipped my toe in, maybe never going back, okay? Because I jump on and, and I'm not even looking for a used mattress, but apparently Facebook thought the, the used mattress was looking for me. Um, and so I, I pulled up and there it is. A California king. You know, that's huge. It would literally go wall to wall in our tiny 800 square foot home, right? And we weren't even looking for one, but I felt like maybe it was looking for me. And you wouldn't believe the price on this thing. $40. You could almost smell the mattress through the picture. Like it looked that bad. Now, I could have purchased that and I can promise you it wouldn't cost a lot, but the quality of my marriage would be drastically impacted, right? Or if I wanted and I was in the market for a good mattress, I could go you know, down the road to a store or even go online and I can pay quite a bit of money for a mattress that's going to be, uh, you know, have, have more quality to it, cost of quality. Or let's say you and your family, um, you, you want to go on a, a vacation. You want to have a good vacation, right? Well, I can tell you a place you can go, and it's not going to cost you that much. Now, there's a place right down the road here. It's called King's Court Motel. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I think they may have been the ones selling the mattress. Uh, I think that probably ties together somehow. Um, but you can go right down the road there, right? And, and it's not going to cost you a lot. 
But the quality of your vacation is going to be drastically impacted. Now, maybe you want to pay a lot for a vacation. Well, you can you know, go down to Orlando. You, you can go to is it Disney World, Disneyland. You can go to Disney, um, whichever one's down there, right? It's going to cost you a lot, but the quality of your vacation is going to be so good, I think. I imagine so. Uh, let's consider my golf game. Some of you are like, you play golf? If you saw me on a golf course, I feel pretty confident that neither one of us would say it's playing golf. Um, it looks more like wearing cheap khakis and putting holes in the ground. Like, that is my idea of playing golf. And, and I have friends who, who, they're really good at golf. Uh, the, the quality of their game is, is through, the, through the roof. But it costs them a lot. And I've accepted in my life, I will never have a quality golf game. Because in my opinion, it just costs too much, right? I got to get goofy pants. Uh, I got to get clubs that are fitted for me, greens fees. You know, it's all just, it's too expensive, right? And, and we can see the, the cost of quality play out in so many things. Um, the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the, the homes we live in, the gadgets we use, the food we eat, uh, cost of quality. We've come to accept that if we want to have something of quality, it's going to cost us. We have embraced that. We live by it. The market kind of trends that direction. If, if we want something of quality, we understand it's going to cost us. And so today I want to talk about a cost that drastically impacts our spiritual lives. And that is the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus. Because if we want to have a quality relationship with Jesus Christ, if we want our lives to be marked by his leading, then it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us something. Now, certainly we aren't talking about an admission fee. It's not like you have three installments of $39.99 and look, you got a great relationship with Jesus, right? That's not what it's about at all. It's not about this monetary expense. And here's the deal. Following Jesus, really following him costs more than anything money could buy. Really following Jesus, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us more than, than money could buy. Now, if you want to follow along uh, in, in your Bibles, uh, whether you're here at home or through your devices, we're going to be spending uh, most of our time here this morning in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be beginning in verse 57. Uh, but as you're, you're heading there, uh, I want to catch you up on what's happened in the first 56 verses, because what's happening there is really the launch pad for what we're going to see happening in the text we'll cover. Uh, chapter 9 begins with Jesus sending out his 12 disciples to go and do ministry with him, to literally go and, and change the world as we know it. And so they head out to do ministry, and unbelievable, miraculous things start happening. Uh, we know at one point in time in Luke chapter 9 that there's 5,000 people who are gathered there to listen to Jesus. His popularity is just growing and growing and growing. And we find out that Jesus miraculously feeds those 5,000 people. His popularity has just got to be just going off the charts at that point in time. And then what we see as we go through Luke chapter 9, some other things happen, but one really impressive thing happens is Jesus heals, the, heals this boy. And no one thought this boy would ever be healed, but not only can Jesus feed 5,000 people miraculously, but he can alter somebody's physical body. His popularity as you go through chapter 9 is just growing and growing and growing. And shortly after these events, we get to verse 57, and it leads us into a section appropriately titled, The Cost of Following Jesus. So let's dive into that text and unpack, uh, we'll stop and unpack it along the way, but the author Luke writes this, as they, so he's talking about Jesus and his disciples, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus has a fanboy, right? 
Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're walking along and quite the miraculous stretch of time had just happened. And someone comes up to Jesus and declares this unwavering commitment to following him. Now, although we're about ready to find out some more about this individual, as of right now, we don't know anything other than this individual has a strong desire to follow Jesus. And why wouldn't he want to follow Jesus? Jesus is a rock star right now. He's doing things people had never seen happen ever. Him and, and his 12 friends, they roll into town, they feed 5,000 people, they're, they're, they're healing uh, people. Why would you not want to be a part of this miraculous Jesus movement? I understand if I was alive that day and age, I understand why this individual was like, sign me up for that forever. Like, I want to be a part of that. You know, but as we will see next week, sometimes we want that. We want Jesus to, to call us on exciting adventures. We want Jesus to call us on these huge life-changing missions. And sometimes he does. But a lot of times he doesn't. And he asks us to be obedient and to follow him through the normal and through the mundane. And that is sometimes so hard to wrestle with. So Jesus tells this eager individual who's like, I want to follow you. Jesus says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the son of man, he's referring to himself, has no place even to lay his head. Now notice, Jesus didn't tell this individual, no, you don't have what it takes to follow me. But what is Jesus asking this individual to do? Jesus is asking this individual to count the cost of following him. He didn't tell this individual no, but by saying, I don't even have a place to lay my head when we travel. I don't know where I'm sleeping next. What Jesus is telling this individual is, there's going to be a cost of following me that you may not be okay with. Part of being my follower means you lose some security. Part of being my follower means that your, your circles, they change. Part of being my follower means you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. We're going to take risks. I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to bend you maybe to the point of breaking. And I'm not sure you're signing up for that. I think you're signing up for the miraculous. So he tells this individual, count the cost. As we continue to go through our text, we read, he, talking about Jesus, said to another person, come, follow me. So this time we actually see Jesus call on someone to follow him, much like he did with many of the disciples. And Luke tells us that the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and, and bury my father. First let me, I'll follow you, but let me go home, take care of some family business. To be honest, this seems fair. This man seems to be just minding his own business, and he didn't go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, can I follow you? Jesus came up to this man minding his own business and said, hey, why don't you follow me? Now, if I were Jesus and, and the man was like, cool, got a funeral, can I go about that business? I would have been like, boy, I just put my foot in my mouth didn't I? I'm super sorry about your loss. Let me provide you with a meal. Can a meal ease the burden of this death that you're mourning? I'd have been like, it's okay to wait. Put me on the, put, put me on, on the back burner. It's okay to wait. I'll, I'll be here whenever you're ready. That's what I would say, but, but not Jesus. Luke tells us, but Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. He says, no, no, you, you let those responsibilities handle themselves. Your role right now, should you choose to accept it, is to go tell people about me. Go tell people about my kingdom. That is first and foremost. 
Now, it's easy for us sitting here, you know, today or, or watching at home to be like, boy, I'm glad it was a funeral because that seems to be a, a bit extreme. But we can take out the funeral and insert any other reason for this man's delay in following Jesus, and the point is still the same. Following Jesus needs to take precedence over all other responsibilities. For us personally, it may not be as drastic as a funeral that is getting in the way of following Jesus for the first time or, or following Jesus more faithfully, but how many times have we wanted to be a more faithful follower of Jesus that we just put it right there on the back burner? We want, we want to be. We say it's important to us. We maybe even go through the motions, but when it comes to the rubber meeting the road and actual commitment, we say, oh, I'll just leave it on the back burner. And at times, even in my own life, like we become okay with that. Because it's on the back burner, it's on the stove, right? It's, it's in sight. I want to be that, so it's, it's a priority, but it's just lukewarm. It's not much of one. We'll say things like, well, I'll start reading my Bible more one, one day. Um, I'll, I'll have a better prayer life. God, God, I'll talk to you more one day down the road. I'll, I'll make my commitment to church one I'm proud of one day. I think our intentions can be pure, but then other things happen, don't they? Other things take precedence over our foremost responsibility in this world, which is following Jesus faithfully. Now, I get it. Like, when I read what Jesus told someone whose dad just died, I'm like, I, I couldn't say that. Right? Like, I understand, like, Jesus' urgency because maybe, like you, I, I've lived in spiritual apathy. I've lived in the spiritual apathy that leads me to believe that, yeah, one day, I don't know really when it is, maybe sooner rather than later, but one day, I will more faithfully follow Jesus. But as we know, that one day, it never comes until we put Jesus above everything else. And I think that was his point to this young man who just lost his father. Now back to our scripture, Luke isn't done because there's still one more person. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Once again, if I'm, if I'm in Jesus' shoes, I'm like, okay, well, I haven't really given you a travel itinerary, so... Your point is well taken, young man. Um, yes, go say goodbye to your family. Larry, you got five minutes. Say goodbye to the kids. Grab some snacks. Let's wrap it up. Get on the road. We've got ministry to do. Like, that's what I would say. I would have this understanding that well, you can delay in following me. But once again, not Jesus. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, um, no surprise, uh, I've never driven a plow. If you shook my hand, uh, remember we used to do that? Um, you would be able to tell, like he's really never done anything hard in his life. Um, but, but from what I read this week online, especially as it pertained to, um, you know, first century farming and how uh, they relied on a lot of livestock to help do that, you know, if you're trying to plow a field, it's so important you plow a field straight. But if you're trying to plow this field and you look back even for a moment, you veer off just a little bit, you've ruined the entire cut, the integrity of the cut for the entire field. You know, kind of think of it this way. Um, there's been probably more times than you and I want to admit where we've been driving and you see something on the passenger seat and you're like, I could probably get that and not almost kill me. What happens? You go to reach for that and you look up, you're like, oh boy, I should not have reached for the Pepsi, right? You know, it's just because you glance away just a little bit Right? And you almost veer off course. It, uh, a lot of you guys know I, I run a lot um, from my problems for help. No. Um, but I'll go down here to the gunpowder and run on the trails. And especially right now in the fall, it's, it's really hard if you don't pay attention 
uh, to stay on the trail. Um, and we've accepted, my wife and I have, that I've reached a certain age where it's not um, if I fall, but how painfully I fall when I'm out on these trails. And I've noticed that almost every single time that I trip and I fall on a trail, and it's not pretty. I don't know how you imagine your pastor falling. It's nothing like you imagine Jesus falling. Um, but also every time I fall, it's when I glance back for just a moment because I think I hear a bike coming. And if you've ever been on that trail, you know it's like walking towards traffic on 95. Um, bikes will just run you over even though we as citizens have the right of way, right? But I almost always get tripped up when I'm not keeping my eyes focused on what's ahead of me. As we think about Jesus' challenge to this young man, it may not be our family that we have to say goodbye to as we follow Jesus, but once again, his point is well taken. We cannot faithfully follow him when we choose to be focused on everything else in this world. We cannot stay the course in following Jesus, especially in this crazy world, if we're taking our eyes off of what we need to be focusing on. It's like, you know, when Peter walked on water, right? a lot of people are like, oh, Jesus is the only one who walked on water. No, Peter did too. We forget that. And why did Peter almost drown? Well, because he took his eyes off of Jesus. And we put our eyes on all kinds of other things that just take away from being more faithful to Jesus. You know, we may focus so much on things that happened previously in our life. We may give all the attention to our bad habits. Uh, we may take our eyes off Jesus because we want to keep on the social circles we run in, even, even though we know those social circles. They're not pushing us closer to Jesus. Maybe we focus too much on that boy or girl that we keep running back to instead of focusing on Jesus. Maybe we focus too much on the shame and the guilt, but, but Jesus wants us to remain singularly focused on him, eyes ahead. That is what is required if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus in our lives. As the Apostle Paul wrote, he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. He's talking about perfection. I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, some of us know this. It's going to be surprising to some of us. But the guy who wrote these words, this scripture was written by a guy who used to persecute the church. He authorized some of their killings before following Jesus. And this man, because of God's amazing grace, he writes and he says, no, no, I know I did a lot of wrong, but I'm just doing this one thing now. I'm focusing on Christ. I'm focusing on what is ahead. That is my, full, that is my focus. So Paul remains focused on Jesus. He's, he's not letting his eyes drift anywhere else. He's not changing his focus for anything, not even his own shortcomings. So what was Jesus' point to those three individuals and then to us here today? I think it's pretty obvious. Following Jesus comes at a cost. And you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't know if following Jesus ever cost me anything. Well, maybe you've not been following Jesus. Maybe you've just been asking Jesus to follow you. Because following Jesus comes at a cost, and that cost is different for all of us. I love the diversity of those three individuals in the book of Luke, because it'd be, it'd be one thing if all their costs were the same, but the cost of following Jesus was different for all of them, and it'll be different for us. But how we describe that cost remains the same. It's sacrifice. As followers of Jesus, it's a sacrifice to, to give up one thing for the sake of something greater. And for us, it's to give up something in our lives for a greater relationship with Jesus. And these thoughts about sacrifice remind me of something that King Frederick William III of Prussia did at, at one point in his reign. And at a certain point in his reign, uh, King Frederick found themselves in, in a lot of trouble. Uh, this was the early 1800s, and wars had been costly to his kingdom, and uh, he was trying to do two things at once. He was trying to rebuild the nation 
at the same time as to not be overcome by his enemies. And there wasn't enough finances to do both. So he didn't want to disappoint his people, but he wasn't going to yield to his enemies as well. That was unthinkable. So after careful reflection, uh, he decided that, that he would write a letter and put out this decree to all the women of Prussia. And he is so creative. Here's what he asked them to do. He asked if they were willing to, to bring their jewelry of gold and silver to be melted down for the sake of their country. So he's asking them to take your gifts, your jewelry, gold and silver. Maybe it's been handed down for generations. Maybe it's worth a lot. But he said, I'm asking you to bring it and have it melted down for the sake of your country. And so with each piece of jewelry he received, he would exchange it for a bronze or iron ornament as a symbol of his gratitude. And each ornament that the woman received for their jewelry had these words inscribed on it. I gave gold for iron 1813. This is a desperate Hail Mary type of plea to not give way to his enemies, but to rebuild his, his kingdom as well. And he wasn't sure, no one ever tried this before, he wasn't sure what the response was going to be. Well, the response was overwhelming. Even more important, these women, they actually prized their gifts from the king more than they valued their former jewelry. And the reason, of course, is clear. The ornaments were proof that they had actually sacrificed for their king. So what they got in return was held in much higher regard than what they had to sacrifice. It changed the direction of the kingdom. Now, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to sacrifice for Jesus, our king. And that sacrifice, that cost is going to look different for all of us. But if we are going to be people who move the kingdom of God forward in this world, then we must all collectively sacrifice in varying and in different ways. And the sacrifices, I get it, it can seem daunting at first, but just like those gals in 1813, what we get in return from following Jesus, our King, is worth so much more. Right? We have a relationship with Jesus, and, and although that relationship, it should be superior to any other relationship that we have in this world, I think we can actually look at different relationships that we have to, to better understand what our relationship with Jesus should look like. All right, let's think about a healthy relationship that a parent should have with a child. I'm a dad of, of two now, and I'm, I'm learning all about what sacrifice means if you're going to have a healthy relationship with your kid. And you have to sacrifice your time. You have to sacrifice your money. Um, you have to sacrifice some of your dreams, some of your hopes, your schedule. If a parent wants to have a healthy relationship with a child, that relationship has to be marked by sacrifice. Or let's think about a marriage. A healthy marriage is going to be all about sacrifice. Like you cannot have a healthy marriage with two independent people who say, I'm not going to give for her sake. I'm not going to give for his sake. No, a marriage that is void of sacrifice won't be a marriage that lasts very long. I'm not saying it's going to end in divorce court, but that marriage will be done. Love will be lost. But a marriage that is built on mutual sacrifice has no ceiling. It can grow and grow. Its love knows no bounds. It's all about sacrifice. And we can probably look at some of our healthy relationships and friendships that we have and, and see the same is true as well. But often in our relationship with Jesus, we only focus on his sacrifice. In our relationship with Jesus, we, we only want to talk about his sacrifice. Right? And don't get me wrong, like he, we should emphasize his sacrifice, right? John 3:16. For this is how God loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, right? The sacrifice, the cost of Jesus' life on the cross, that is our hope. That is the faith we cling to. 
but I firmly believe that one of the reasons that people don't experience the thrill and the depth that they should have with Jesus is because they aren't willing to sacrifice on their end. They don't understand that following Jesus comes at a cost. And, and I get it. Like, I cringed a little bit this week because I'm like, I mean, shame, this is biblical truth here. And shame on me for not highlighting this sooner. Shame on churches for telling people like, yeah, it's just all about what Jesus did for you. Heaven's yours. Go live how you want. That's not what it's about. If we aren't willing to sacrifice for that relationship, then that relationship will never be what it could. And so let me ask you, what, what does following Jesus cost you? And I would encourage you, whether you're, you're home with family members or uh, watched online and you have friends who, who are believers or whether you're here with other people, like, sit down and talk about this. Like, what does G- following Jesus cost us? Right? Has it cost a change in your behavior? Right, kicking a bad and even sinful habits. Because following Jesus, if we really are, it means we turn from our selfish ways and we wake up every day and just surrender our lives. What does following Jesus cost you? Has it cost you some of the things that you want for your life? Because following Jesus means that we surrender what we want for our life and we wake up every day saying, Jesus, what do you want out of this short life of mine? We, we prayerfully yield control to Jesus. Has it cost where you're doing life and who you're doing life with? Because following Jesus means we go once again where he leads. It's, it's not the other way around. In talking to his 12 disciples in Matthew 16, Jesus tells us, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. And boy, do we, me too, we just try to hang on to our life and what we want out of it. He says, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? You know, I want nothing more than for those of us who are followers of Jesus to experience the greatness of that relationship because when we are faithfully following Jesus, I truly believe that it takes all of life's blessings and it makes it sweeter because there's nothing greater in this life than having that relationship with Jesus. What I have to wrestle with today is the understanding that if we want that, and I think we all do, we wouldn't be here if we didn't, we wouldn't be watching online if we didn't. We have to understand that's going to come at a cost. And I get it. For some of us, we never thought about that before. We've freely accepted what Jesus has done for us, his sacrifice, but we've stopped there. We've not yet said, well, then based on what you've done for me, what do you want to change in my heart? What do you want to change in my life? And I encourage you to, to, to pray through that this week. Ask God to make it obvious to you what changes you need to make in your life to more faithfully follow him. And then get some accountability. Have some people to encourage you to move forward with the boldness and courage to make those changes. And for others, right, maybe we started following Jesus a long time ago. And we remember that day when we handed him the reins, right? And we said, Jesus, you're my savior. I want to give my life to you. But as time has gone on, we've, we've faded on that relationship. We've kind of faded on his leading. And that's the case, now is always the best time to recommit to him. And my wife and I, we are convicted of that this week. And we, we were doing a devotional together, and um, there is a section of scripture that we were studying from the book of Revelation, which, hey, things get crazy in the Haltom house, right? You know, two kids studying Revelation, wild times. Um, but, but the scripture uh, that we were really convicted by, um, it was written actually as a charge against the church. Um, But we took this personally as a nudge for us to get back to how we let Jesus lead us when we first loved him. And we admitted that some things have changed for the better, but 
some things have, have changed for the worse. And we need to get back to allowing Jesus to lead us just like we were in that moment we first fell in love with him. It's Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. It says, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. So maybe you've been following Jesus for quite some time and you're, you're settling. You're drifting. That relationship isn't costing you anything anymore and you can feel it. The thing is, like, when we are drifting away from Jesus, if we're honest with ourselves, we can feel it, right? We know what it feels. We know where we're at. We do a really good job of making other people not realize where we're at. But we can feel it when we're drifting. And if this is where you are, you know, thank God for amazing grace and get back to doing those things that you did when you first loved Jesus. Follow him faithfully. I think we've driven the point home, but in closing, I just want to reiterate that, that there is a cost in following Jesus. But Jesus, my goodness, he is always worth the cost. He was always worth the cost. Yes, there is a cost. and We probably don't talk about that as often as we should, but there's a higher cost in not following him. There's an eternal cost in not following him. So if you've never given your life to Christ, man, I want to encourage you that in Jesus, you have everything. And without Jesus, you have nothing. There is a cost, but my goodness, it's, it's always worth the cost. Now, as we went through the book of Luke there, um, maybe you noticed, or maybe you didn't. Um, it took me a couple of readings to realize, huh, we never know how those individuals responded. Jesus told each one of them the cost, and it was different, like it will be for all of us, but Jesus never told them told us how they responded. And I'm actually kind of thankful for that. Uh, but I think the, the question I wrestle with is, how will I respond to the cost of following Jesus? Not just that one-time commitment back in May of 2003, when I was 18 years old and had no idea what I was signing up for, other than it wasn't hell, which I was for. But what does it cost me? Every single day, moment by moment, like, what does... Does it cost me and how will I respond? And I think the question that you have to answer is how will you respond to the cost of following Jesus? Not just this one-time thing, but every single day, moment by moment, how will you respond? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I'm thankful. I believe we thank you for scripture and how it encourages us to grow. And, and growth is not always fun. Change is not always easy. But if we are becoming more like you through it, then it's certainly worth it. God, I'm so thankful that when I read Scripture and it convicts me to change and to more faithfully follow you, it's, we're not reading Scripture from this God who, who's looking down his nose at us because he's upset with us because we can't get it right. It's like you're hugging us, we're sitting on your lap, and you're trying to love us into who you desire us to be. And I'm so thankful that we can live by grace and not by guilt. But Jesus, we ask that you convict us this morning on the things we need to change in our lives to more faithfully follow you. We know that following you will come at a cost, but remind us that there is nothing greater. Jesus, we are, are thankful for what you have sacrificed to have a relationship with us. May we be willing to sacrifice as well. It's in your name, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.